Give them a great big Frankfurt welcome. We love and appreciate them. Come and preach your heart to us tonight. Oh, let's do it to the Lord. Give God great praise. We already have, but let's give him a little bit more. Love you, Jesus. We magnify you for you are good. You are good to us. We delight in the work of your hands. What a pleasure to know you, Jesus. Praise God. I'm ready to go home. You have encouraged our heart tonight in your worship and singing and then with the beauty of the testimonies that have come out of this congregation over the last few months. What a wonderful God you serve. What an awesome Savior we're participants with. God is so good to us. You may be seated for just a moment. I want to say a few things preliminarily, and then we'll preach the word of the Lord. Your pastor said that you, you guys normally get out about midnight, so, man, we're, oh, we'll try, to, we'll try to be conscious of time. I want to share something with you that I didn't intend to until standing here tonight. I know you guys are in the middle of a building program, and so are we. We've been in the middle of it since last summer, and our initial act has been to simply get zoning approval for property. And our county is one of the strictest counties in the state of Indiana, and so they have fought us fairly diff with, with much challenge. And so we had been purchasing two pieces of property, one to build a church building on, the other one to build a park on park for our church and a park for the community where we're putting our new building and they fought us over both pieces and finally our church board decided we were just going to give up and we were going to give away the property that we were going to buy for a park and we own another we own two campuses already so we were just going to take our second campus and put a park there and I wrote our civil engineer an email, and I told him, I said, we're just going to give it up, Steve. We're, we're not going to try to do that. God is so amazing. So Steve Brehob is his name. He wrote me back. He said, Pastor, I understand what you're trying to do. But he said, I have a suggestion. Will you let me try to work something, and I'll get back to you? I said, okay. The, the property that we're purchasing to build our building on, right next door to it, across the road, they are building a brand new high-end rehabilitation facility, very expensive place, has two restaurants and a bar and all kinds of stuff in a rehab center. It's very fancy. Probably the bar is going to get a lot of attention. Our engineer went to the owner of a company called Main Street Investment, large company here in Indiana, actually regionally, went to the CEO of the corporation and asked them if they would give us land. Not sell us, give us land. They had purchased more than they needed and they intended to take part of their property and make it a park. And about three weeks ago, their corporate board gave Highland Village Church six and a half acres of property for no money what a God what an awesome God he is in us he is working for us he's tremendous hallelujah 
He is so good. And we never made a single effort. All of this was done by a civil engineer who kind of likes me and wants our church to advance. And so we praise the Lord in August sometime. They'll wind up deeding that over to us. And we'll build a park on that for our church youth and for the community we're a part of. What a great, great God. It is a joy tonight to be in Frankfort, Indiana with you. And I love the spirit I feel in this place. I love your worship. Oh, how refreshing and what a joy to be with you in this. That takes great leadership. That takes great leadership. This doesn't just happen. This takes leadership to bring about such an environment. It takes people to make that happen, but it takes leadership to take you there. And it's both working together. This church is greatly blessed by a founding pastor, Brother Price, who I had the chance to meet tonight for the first time. Brother Price, I commend you for the work you've done. What a great, great work. And then your pastor's family. And I certainly give honor to you, sir, but you have led a family that is phenomenal. Their touch is everywhere. Our district is affected by them. Nationally, we're affected by them. And some of the sweetest, kindest people in the world. And now that I've been here, I can go home and tell the half was not told me of how great to be in Frankfurt. I hope it's not my last time. I might just drop in on you sometime and just sit in the back and worship and have a great time. Brother Jordan, it's a treat to be here with you, sir. Thank you for the invitation. And I tell you, you got a great thing going on. And I know it takes great, great work. And we delight in that tonight. Passionate people. And that's my wife and I are passionate. Our kids are passionate. And I, don't, I can't hardly stand somebody that's not passionate. It irritates the fire out of me. Either, either die or get with it. It's kind of the way I feel about things. My Lord, don't sit in the middle of the road and block the rest of us trying to get something done. I've been in the way. Get out of the way. Some of us want to move. Okay, I didn't come to preach about that. In honor of the word of the Lord, if you'd stand, and I do want to minister something I feel like the Lord's put in my spirit for you tonight. I'm only reaching for one text, although we are going to be hitting Scripture, Scripture, Scripture tonight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 40. Hebrews 11 and 40. I'm certain it's familiar text to you once I began to read. And I'm, I'm pulling this out of much other text. And I will not mess with it. I will give you the intention of this text before the message is done. But Hebrews 11.40 simply says this. God having provided some better thing for us. That they without us should not be made perfect. God having provided some better thing for us. That they without us should not be made perfect. And I want to preach to you from a very, very simple thought tonight, just extremely simple. I want to speak to you from something special. We're part of something special. We forget that. But I hope by the end of this message, you will appreciate this salvation more than you've ever appreciated it before. And I want to tell you starting out, I don't regularly do this, but I hope to God somebody runs the aisle. I hope somebody gets excited about what God is doing for us because we're part of something special. 
I hope goosebumps hit you from head to toe and you hit the middle of the aisle and just shake under the quickening power of God because we are part of something phenomenally awesome that God is doing among us in this hour. Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time and give Him praise? Before you're seated, would you turn around and find somebody who's good looking and shake their hand and let them know they are good looking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. We are part of something very special tonight. And if you're not part of this special thing, you have an invitation to participate. Not just from me, not just from this church, but from God himself. For John 7, verse 37, in that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which, that, which, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The invitation is open to whosoever will tonight. If you're not filled with the Spirit, you can leave this house full of the Holy Ghost, because you've been invited by God to experience the gift from him. It's possible that because many of us in the room have grown up around the church or in the church, we've lost sight of the preciousness of God's work of love, His work of mercy, His work of grace in bringing salvation to our day. You can, you can become familiar enough with this that we walk in here on a Sunday night where God's glory and presence is flowing and we forget that we are not we were not privileged, but he made us privileged. We were not holy, but he made us holy. We were not righteous, but he declared us to be righteous. You're not holy because you're good. You're holy because he's good. You're not holy because you did all the right things. You're holy because he said you're holy. And thus we've entered into something that it cost us nothing. We didn't lay down a single thing for him. Everything he's given us is free gratis. He paid the price. He's doing the work. He's not finished yet he's perfecting that which concerns us and he's bringing us to an expected end because he intends to save us he does it is possible follow me I, I lay a little groundwork and then we'll really preach but it's possible that you've heard people say that they don't believe in a God of judgment because they can't see a loving God judging anyone. Anybody ever heard that? First of all, allow me to say that our perceptions of love are shallow and often self-serving. There's another word we say for that, that in 
this kind of company maybe we don't want to say, but there's another word for self-serving love. It's called lust. And we can take God's precious love and twist it into self-serving lust. And I'm afraid our generation is kind of bending toward that. And so the word of God says that God is love. It doesn't say he's loving. You will not find recorded anywhere in Holy Writ that it says he's loving. It says he is love. His identity. We like to talk about that he is holy. And I believe it 100%. But he is also love. And thus to comprehend love is beyond us. We can only comprehend what he allows us to experience of the vastness and the glory of the love of God. You've not yet experienced all of the love that there is in Jesus Christ. He is love. Encountering him means to encounter love. We're very limited in our understanding of this loving God. So the pattern that we must look to is His Holy Word. I don't want to freak you out, but let's freak you out. This is all we know of God. Now follow me. This is not all of God. This is all he's let us know of him. He's bigger than this book. He's more vast than the container that we read and find it so precious to us. But this could never hold God. He's bigger than your Bible. This is what he simply said, I'll let you know and experience. So if we are to know God... We must know him through his word. So follow me for a few minutes as I take you into the word and let you understand a historical record of how God has dealt with disobedience. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 we read, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them to the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. We're not certain of God's history. We don't know beyond here. We don't know his beginnings because he's not allowed us to know his beginnings. What we do know from this is the creation is the beginning of his interaction with men. We know there's a day coming in which he will return and take his church out. And there's a judgment that's coming eventually. That all men will encounter. We know that because the book we have tells us so. 
But Brother Jordan, we don't know past that point. Maybe we're going to be the angels to another earth. That'll freak you for a moment. Maybe our stories are being written in a book that will be shared with another culture somewhere. We don't know. And I know I'm stretching your minds for a moment, but we don't know. So we live today. And so our historical record and God's willingness to allow us to see are limited to the times of humanity. That's why I'm always intrigued by the decisions and the choices and the, the social ideas of, our, of this generation we live in. Because often, my, you still with me? Often these things are limited to philosophers and, and, and professors in our day who live for a short time. Listen, there are buildings in Europe older than our country. And we really think we're smart. Europe looks at us and laughs at us because we're still a baby. I'm not trying to freak you. I'm trying to make you think. We get ideas in our head that it's certain ways, but all we know is what God has shown us. It would appear to reasonable minds that God's first creation was not the earth and was not man. If you're reasonable... If you look at the word with honesty. But it would appear that God's first creation were angels. Before he ever made a man, he had angels. Before there ever was earth, there were angels. We even know, can I blow your mind for a second? That before there ever was a man, there was a sacrifice. Because the scripture says that from the foundation of the world there was a lamb slain for the sin of mankind. Before there was ever a need, he had provision available. Before there ever was a sin or a disobedience, you have a God who was looking down the road at provision that we would need. And there wasn't even a man yet in the world. Angels were created to serve God. Angels were created to minister to men. Angels were created according to the word to worship God. They do this continually. But it would appear to me from the text that angels are not robots. They have a will. I don't know what their will is. The Bible doesn't give us clear understanding. We don't know what powers they have to step outside of the will of God. But we know it's possible. Not by me making it up, but because the word gives us this fact. These angelic beings that were created for ministry to God and for God to be able to use in ministry to us had a falling out with God. We read of it in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. It says to us, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? Which didst weaken the nations. For thou hast said in the heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. In the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. To the sides of the pit. It appears to me from the word of God. That Lucifer wanted to take over God's authority. 
It appears that he intended to demote God to a place of secondary leadership. And that Lucifer intended to be the ruler of the heavens. Because of his rebellion, because of his willingness to rise up against God, he was cast out of heaven. That's not just hyperbole, it is the truth. For Jesus even makes reference to it in Luke 10, 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Satan was cast out, but not alone. We see this a little more clearly in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. The book of Revelation is a historical book as well as a prophetic book. Sometimes we get confused with that. we got to be careful in interpreting this book. But it is partly historic. Revelation 12 and 3. That I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his heads. And his tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky. And he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place for her to care for her 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all his angels it is from this text that maybe you've heard if not I would tell you that scholars say one third of the angels the stars were cast down from heaven with Lucifer when he was cast out it is from this text that that theory is derived that when Satan fell God kicked out of heaven a third of the angels with him because they simply sought to disobey God and do their own thing I'd never considered what I'm about to preach to you until just a few months ago. I was sitting in my home in the basement in my lazy boy recliner dealing with kidney stones. And while sitting there, the Lord opened my eyes to something I'd never seen before. We serve a merciful God. We serve a God. The scripture tells us that he's working constantly. On our behalf, one of my favorite texts is the last three verses of the book of Jude. Now unto him who is able to present you to himself faultless. What? What? Who's doing the work here? He's going to present me to himself faultless. Who's doing the work here? It's him doing a work in me so he can present me to him without fault. I can't do it, but I've got a God who loves me and saved me, and he's not done saving me. He's going to keep working on me. So he kicks these angels out. And I ask you a very theological question. But I ask you to consider tonight, if you've never considered it before, this loving, merciful, kind, gracious, sacrificial God. What plan of salvation and redemption did our loving God bring about 
for fallen angels. What sacrifice did our awesome God go through to make it possible for these fallen angels, these disobedient, wicked angels, to be reconciled back to God? Oh, he's not a God of judgment. What plan has he put in place so angels can be made right? What sacrifice has he personally made so that angels who did nothing more than Adam and Eve did? What did Adam and Eve do? Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And what they really did was say, God, you're not in charge anymore. We are. This is the same thing we read from the text of Isaiah that Lucifer did. He said, God, you're not in charge anymore. I am. And he got kicked out of heaven with everybody who participated with him in his program. I ask you again tonight, what plan of salvation has God implemented or is he intending to implement for a bunch of renegade angels to bring them back to God? It would appear from, from biblical record that nothing has been done to save them. In fact, the scriptural record would lead us to believe the complete op opposite. For in Jude, the sixth verse, it says, And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority. God gave them but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely, chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of their judgment. There's not an ounce of intention by God to ever show mercy to a group of angels who rose up against him before there ever was a creation. I'm talking about a God who loves us. I'm talking about a God who from the text is a God of love and is love. But he has no intention of redeeming these angels. They are held in reserve until judgment day. Hey, we're part of something special tonight. We're part of something special tonight. There's no hope of redemption or reconciliation for angels who rose up against a God who intended and created them for glory. There's no hope. No hope. And they've done less, Brother Jordan, than many of us. They just did it once. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not doing a real survey, just putting it out for consideration. How many times have you disobeyed God? Oh, I know you're all holy. I'll talk about me many times. And yet, he's still trying with me. Is that shocking? And yet, he's still reaching for me. Yesterday when I fell on my face in the front of our building and began to seek the Lord and confess to Him, He was there. He forgave me. His blood covered me afresh and new. He was renewing my heart even in that moment. When I stepped in the pulpit this morning to preach, the presence of God was on me. The presence of God was working through me. He did not reject me, but rather offered reconciliation and restitution for my soul. But He didn't offer angels that. Hallelujah.
Oh, somebody ought to stand and just give the Lord praise. You're part of something very special tonight. Hallelujah. You may be seated. I could talk to you about Noah's day and the destruction of the flood. I could talk to you about Sodom and Gomorrah because the word declares that God was, was judged those cities. I declare to you tonight with no reservations, we are part of something that is extremely special. This is the first and only time that we know of, a God, of, of, of this God that we serve who's ever offered disobedient and fallen man. The opportunity to be made right and to be restored in relationship with God again. Is it possible? And let me, let me go beyond what text would say. And, and if I'm wrong, your pastor will just straighten it all out. Could it be that in that little room, that big room, that whatever room it is, that he's got angels locked up, that there's cries? I want to be right. God, if you just let me be back, I just want to be restored. We don't know that from the Bible. We, we have no understanding of that because they're them and we're us. But what I can tell you is no matter how loud, loud they cry, no matter how much they beg, there is not a single chance in God's creation that they'll ever be right with him again. But tonight, I don't care what your week's been. I don't care how you live for God or didn't live for God this week. We can put on suits and ties and look Pentecostal and, and fake everybody out but God. The fact is it doesn't matter because if you walk into this place and understand he's a God who covers our sins. He's a God who saves to the uttermost. He's a God that's reasonable and says let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. He's a God who's extended himself beyond your reason. He's a God God who blows our minds with his capacity to love us. When Adam and Eve sinned through disobedience to the command of God, God should have destroyed them. Or cast them into a place of judgment where there was no hope of return. That had been his pattern. But our opening text says it all. Hebrews 11 and 40 said, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us could not be made perfect. When the law wouldn't work. Hey, when prophets came and they killed him and destroyed him and it didn't work. When they failed to be able to bring Israel and humanity to reconciliation with God. God had had his fill. And yet it would appear instead of sending judgment to humanity. We see the years of silence as we understand from our Bible years where God doesn't apparently speak. He could have sent judgment at that point. But he does not. We read in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That he gave not a second best, not a third rate. He gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and it's the next verse that blows my mind beyond 16 for it says for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world we deserve condemnation we deserve judgment we deserve to be cast out but he didn't come to condemn but that the world through him might be saved. You're part of something special tonight. What you've got your hands on is mind-blowing. It is fabricated by a God who is beyond our wildest imagination. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph and praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God has loved us humans enough to offer us mercy, love, and grace in this season of our history for the purpose of being saved and being able to have a relationship with Him. Now, it's going to come to an end, but right now, this is what we've got. His pattern in history has been to destroy and place in judgment those who've disobeyed. But for us, for us, He's offered a different plan. I don't know why. I don't know why he changed his mind. I don't know why he decided to die. I, I pray almost every time I go before the Lord. I say, God, I thank you for loving me. I don't know why. But thank you. I'm a wretch. I know you're all holy. I live an ungodly life. I th I'm thankful that he loves me. I'm shocked that he does. I'm blown away that he cares enough for me to cover me up. When he could expose me to the world and judge me. And I'm not talking about habitual wicked sin. I'm talking about every, the closer I draw to God and the more I see his character and my lack of his character. It makes me know how far I am from him. The old bishop used to sing in Indianapolis, I've got a long way to go to be like the Lord. I've got to be merciful, dutiful, faithful and true, kind and just in all that I do. I've got a long ways to go to be like the Lord. But he's helping me. He's helping me. Okay, I'm just, I'm excited about it. I tell you, I just... I'm sorry, it freaks me out that he loves me that much. His pattern in history has been to destroy, but no more. Second Corinthians, oh, the day, there's a day coming, this story's going to switch, but it's not yet. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the, here's what we read. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. All of this is a gift from God. All of this is a gift from God. All of this is the gift from God. We talk about Holy Ghost and filling and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Powerful, wonderful, but it's an ongoing gift. That's the initial part of salvation. But the gift that we are born again and continue to be saved is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So what's the church supposed to do? I'm going to be pastoral for a moment and we'll shake loose from it. What's the church supposed to do if that's the God we serve? 
I feel the Holy Ghost. You got, you got wrongs hanging over somebody's head in this body? You're hanging on to it and have hung on to it for years? Oh, I, I better be careful. And yet God is not holding yours over you. Well, you just don't know what they did. Yeah, 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 tell, t- tell him that. Ask him to roll back the curtains and show you what you did recently to him. When, you, when, when he opened the door to that co-worker and wanted you to just speak a word of faith into their heart because they were hungry and they asked you, what about this? And you were afraid to give them the truth. You broke his heart. Because the reason he's here is to seek and save that which is lost. And the church is left in the world to seek and save that which is lost. So what should the church be doing right now? We should be reconciling men back to God. Hey, if this is such a great God and this salvation is so great, wouldn't everybody want to have it? He said, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Pentecostals, apostolic believer, we ought to be the most wonderful people in the world. Because we've been saved. Not because we're good, but because he's good. Would you stand across the building and give the Lord praise for just a moment? I'll finish in just a few minutes. So you are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through you. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. The church ought to be the most bloody place in the world full of the covering blood of Jesus Christ and and we ought to welcome people. I don't care what they look like. I loved it tonight. I loved it tonight when you brought these baptismal candidates or not candidates but baptismal. People have been baptized. Thrilled my heart. It does not matter. Let the Holy Ghost do a work. You ain't all that either. Come on, we're a bunch of wretches who've been saved. We've been delivered. We've been set free. Not by our own power, but by the power of a God who loves us. So how are we reconciled? I got to get the gospel in here. How are we reconciled? The Apostle Peter gives us God's simple plan. And it appears it's the first time in recorded history where we have it in a nutshell. Even Plato had asked the question, what must I do? Others had asked the question. Aristotle had asked the question, what must I do? But they never had an answer. It's always a question. If you've read those books, you know even the Republic is a quest with a problem. How do men rule themselves? And you get to the end of the Republic and you realize men can't rule themselves. We got a problem. We're human. We just can't do it. It's what the whole book, the book you think you've read in school, whatever. That's what it's all about. 
He didn't know it. Plato was written before Christ. I had a professor tell me one time, he said this was holy written. Should have been because it pointed to Jesus Christ. Plato was pointing to Christ and didn't know it. So for the first time in history, the question is asked, well, let's read the text. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, this is an age-old question. This didn't start on the day of Pentecost. This question had been asked by philosophers for hundreds of thousands of years. What do we do? What do we do? But for the first time in historic record, somebody had an answer. Instead of the question being uh, uh, Socratic by nature without an answer, we finally have someone who says, I got the answer. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You have an answer. It's because He's working in you. This is the way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Maybe tonight. You don't feel worthy. Welcome to the crowd. Maybe tonight you don't feel like you deserve all of this. Welcome. You're in the right place. None of us, whether we feel like it or not, are worthy. He makes us worthy. Finally, the writer of Hebrews in the 8th chapter really sums up what I'm trying to preach tonight as I draw conclusion. Hebrews 8 and verse 6. And I'm reading from New Living Translation. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people... It says, for finding fault with them. We've, I've heard guys say he found fault with the law. No, no, that's not what it says. He found fault with the people. The problem wasn't the law. The problem was us. Do you need to be notified of that? He said, when, when God saw that there was fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It doesn't appear as though there's an if there there's no if clause in the text he simply says when this this project gets done they will be my people and I will be their God why because of us no he already said we've got a problem it's because of him They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor, nor will they te- need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. 
When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Stand to your feet across this building tonight. If you're living a life of repentance, you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and have been filled with his glorious Holy Ghost, like the early disciples, then brothers and sisters, you are participants in God's special plan that he has offered to no one else. Nobody has what you and I have an opportunity to participate in. When you walk into this house next time and there's church, there ought to be something boiling in your spirit the minute you walk through the door. There ought to be something that rise up within you. My God, I'm saved. Whoa, I'm saved. I've been a wretch. I've been a loser. said bad things this week and had a nasty attitude. But I'm saved. you aren't in that place tonight then you can come to this altar and repent of your sins and be filled with his glorious spirit as we bring this message to conclusion I'm going to ask I'm going to take a little liberty for a moment and I hope I haven't taken too much brother Jordan if I have forgive me I'd love it and I know your altar area is small thank God you're building something new isn't that exciting but man I wish we'd pack it to the front and pack the center aisle back to the sound room with people who just, I'm not asking you jump, shout, hoop, or holler unless the Holy Ghost moves on you and you want to jump, shout, hoop, and holler. But I'm asking you to show a little appreciation. Because the only reason you're here tonight is not because your mama was in the church. Not because your daddy was in the church. Not because grandma and grandpa been in the church. Oh, no. He has no grandchildren. Everybody's newborn to Jesus. You're either his kid or you're not. And the only reason you're in, oh, I could preach another message, is because he chose you. He picked you. And he laid his hand on you. And he filled you with his spirit. You've been born again because of the goodness of God. Would you fill this altar and give God praise for the power of the Holy Ghost. For the delivering power of heaven's God. Would you reach out and grab somebody by the hand. Take them in the middle of the aisle. And would you just give God great glory and thanksgiving in your heart. For all the work he's done to save, to deliver, to set you free by his power and glory. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, give him glory.